0: This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible that includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link audibletrial.com/cultivate. That's C U L T I V the number 8 to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you Audible for supporting the show.
1: Hey guys, I'm Darcy, founder of Spirit And I'm Kelly, the Chief Technical Officer of SPIRIT. Back in 2011, we formed the Supernatural Paranormal Investigations and Research Institute, searching for answers to mysterious things that were happening in our little corner of Canada.
2: And we haven't stopped searching for those answers ever since join us on our podcast, Canadian Spirit, as we dive into all of Canada's most famous and forgotten paranormal mysteries. Examine the evidence and try to figure out what might be behind Canada's ghosts, cryptids, and UFO encounters.
1: In Canadian spirit, you'll get a peek behind the curtain and see for yourself what being a paranormal investigator is really like and learn something about Canadian history, which isn't as boring as it sounds. Even if it is, we're a pair of chuckle fucks, so we'll do our best to make it entertaining. So come along for the ride and discover for yourself what makes the land of maple and hockey so wonderfully weird. You can find us
2: on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, you know, wherever you find your
1: podcasts. And remember, raccoons are aliens, werewolves are perverts, and ghosts are just downright rude sometimes.
0: Hi, Fred. My name is Josh Shell, host of the Let's Start a Cult podcast. The only podcast host to read reviews from its listeners starting today. That's a bingo on Apple podcast rated the show five stars and wrote, quote, great show. Stumbled upon the show and I'm so glad I did. The host is amazing and the content is super interesting. Happy to subscribe. End quote. So thank you to That's Bingo for the lovely review. I will Venmo you the agreed upon amount after the show. Shane Edmonds show on Podchaser rated the show five stars and wrote, quote, Josh is great host and I would join his cult. Ha ha. End quote. Well, your time has come, Shane Edsman Show. Welcome to The Cult. You're now in charge of the Saturday morning sermons. Thank you to everyone that has left a review. Please go to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and leave a rating and review for your chance to have it read on the show. Now, with that ego inflation out of the way, let me introduce to my guests this episode. They are from the incredibly funny and informative podcast, Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Try, Try saying that three times fast. From Princess Diana to Mothman, these guys cover all conspiracies known and unknown to man and a concise and funny delivery that will make you think and laugh. Please welcome to the show, Mystery Mike and Slick Frank Sanders. How are you guys today? Super swell.
3: Awesome. Doing good. (laughs) Thanks for having us on, Josh. No, I love your show
0: and uh, definitely glad to have you guys on. Before we start, though, as the undeclared leaders of all conspiracy theories, I have to clear the air with you guys. A few episodes ago, I attacked QAnon pretty ruthlessly and they were not happy about it. Uh, So, (laughs) (laughs) so, will you guys accept my apology, not necessarily for what I said, but for how mean I was to Q and his Q drips?
3: I don't know if the. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't think an apology is
0: uh, warranted. So,
3: you're you're okay. Awesome. I'll stand
0: firm in my, my attack on them then, and I will double down and make a QAnon part two.
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we might catch flack for not going in on you about
0: it, but, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll get there eventually. That's okay. We'll take the bullet together. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, in today's episode of the Let's Start a Cult podcast, we will be talking about Benjamin Prunel, the leader of a strict religious cult known as the House of David claiming to be a prophet from God, Benjamin started one of the most bizarre cults I have ever talked about. Part strict religious sect, part amusement park, and part baseball team. The House of David had it all, including terrible sexual assault charges against their leader because all cult leaders are terrible. <laughs> have either of you heard of the House of David? Until now, no. Okay. I have not. I've only heard the <laughs> I've only heard the baseball part
2: of it and okay. looking into it, I was like I, I wonder if this is the same cult that I'm thinking about why (laughs) are they starting a baseball
0: team but yeah Uh, yeah yeah the baseball team part is like I mean the whole thing is a wild ride but yeah the baseball part is definitely interesting funny that you know about the baseball and not the (laughs) the cult so that's that's good (laughs) I like that I just thought they were a little league team they played pretty professionally, like semi-professionally. Anyway, we'll get into that, but it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's wild. But first we're going to start with Benjamin's early life and how he became a cult leader. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin Prunell was born on March 27th, 1861 in Lewis County, Kentucky to Madison and Sarah Ann Prunell. The Prunells were a poor farming family and with Ben being the youngest of 12, money was always tight. Now, there isn't much known about Ben's early life, but when he was six years old, his mother, Sarah Ann, became very sick with pneumonia. The COVID of its time. <laughs> That's <laughs> it's not really true, but don't at me. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Sarah passed away from her battle with pneumonia, leaving her husband and family devastated by the loss. Madison's mental and financial health had deteriorated as a result of his wife's death, and he was no longer able to support all of his children. His solution was cold and logical, well, if I can't support them all, I'll just get rid of one. And Ben, being the youngest, drew the short straw, <laughs> so uh, Jesus. yeah, just yeeted him out of the house. <laughs> Shortly after his mother's death, Ben was sent to live with his oldest brother, James, and his wife, Elizabeth, who lived in an- another part of Kentucky. It's safe to say at the age of six, the loss of his mother, father, and most of his siblings was pretty hard on Ben, as I think it would be for most of us. Yeah, I I could see why you became a cult leader. (laughs) Yeah, lines are being drawn. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely psychological lines, that's for sure. So it's around this time in his life that he began to turn towards religion as an answer to all the fucked up things happening in his life. While the family had always been strong Christians, Elizabeth noticed that Ben was becoming obsessed with religion, even stating that once she saw him reciting scripture to the trees outside of their home. And uh, (laughs) I'm probably not the only one. I think it's disgusting to watch someone push their religion on ants. So, you know, just let them believe what they want. (laughs) Poor oak trees. Yeah. <laughs> During this time in the late 1860s, there was a Christian fundamentalist movement spreading through America led by minister Thomas Campbell and his son Alexander. They would regularly travel through small towns throughout America preaching that Christian people needed to return their, to their biblical roots. They believed the church to be corrupt and that Christians need to abolish the Protestant church to return to a united church. These preachers and their passionate speeches captured the attention of young Ben and changed his beliefs forever. Because before he was probably preaching like pretty, you know, regular stuff, like love everyone and stuff. But this is, we need to chop off half of the church and, <laughs> and get back to what we, we used to believe in. Jeez. Now, what is the one thing besides religion that every straight teenager needs? Porn. Drugs. Close. Also cl- <laughs> Also a good answer. (laughs) Sadly, there was probably no porn back in this day. (laughs) Um, If you answered girl at home, you are correct, and you win, I don't know, drugs. You win the drugs and porn. (laughs) You win the drugs and porn. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Ben was no different as he found himself falling in love with a girl named Angelina Brown when he was only 15. After only a year of dating, they decided to get married because... When you live in the Midwest and you're not dating someone who's, who's your cousin, you lock them down.
3: <laughs> I was going to ask if they were related just like by coincidence, but... No,
0: actually, they... they well, nah, who knows? <laughs> it's one of his long
3: lost sisters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Of course. laughs>
0: True, he did separate from them, so maybe. She has a different name, so it's a, it's a good sign that she's not at least first cousins. <laughs> True. <laughs> Alas, Ben was not ready for a committed relationship, as he would often leave for days or weeks on end while he traveled around the country. And keep in mind, he's like 15, 16 at this time. He's just... Yeah, what like, are you doing? Just leaving. For- living life. Just living life. Yeah. Riding the rails. He's uh, probably preaching. You know, he's pretty religious still. <laughs> so, With no job or way to provide for Angela, things were looking bad for their marriage. But what is the best proven way to fix a marriage? Having a baby, of course. Uh, I was going to say a threesome. Oh.
2: Oh
3: (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) I see uh, Mystery Mike has different ways to fix marriages. (laughs) Think outside the box. (laughs) I like it. And so in 1879, Angela gave birth to a baby girl. But it was not enough to keep Benjamin's attention. And for the next two years, he traveled aimlessly through the Midwest. The only only word she ever heard from him was a letter requesting a divorce from her. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Which is just... And you can keep the baby.
0: (laughs) I don't want anything to do with that. (laughs) So yeah, you just, you know, the modern day equivalent of just texting to break up with someone. It's lovely. Uh, It's pretty garbage. (laughs) They say love is dead. The reason for the divorce letter was of course, because Ben had found new love on his journey, a 17 year old named Mary stollard And in August of 1880, they became married because once again, not related Midwest, yep. you locked that shit down with under a year. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get it. Yeah, we're good to go. This marriage was clearly a lot better for Benjamin as the two spent the next decade or so traveling the Midwest preaching biblical scripture. His, his dream marriage, of course. <laughs> yeah,
2: there was no baby. That's the issue. They did have a baby. Yeah.
0: I, I didn't go uh-huh. into that, but they do have a baby pretty soon after their marriage or, or maybe before, I don't know, premarital sex. So they can't do that. Yeah. No. <laughs> there was also, I didn't, I didn't write this down cause it goes into too much, but there was also a complication that they never actually filed for divorce, like his first marriage. So there was a big complication with him trying to marry Mary <laughs> later uh. on. And so it was just this mess where he had to claim that he was too young to actually commit to someone in marriage so that the courts would allow him to marry this new girl.
3: <laughs> it's a pretty solid loophole. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> it's it was great. It wasn't until the late 1890s that they began to follow the Southcottian movement, which had been created by a British prophetess named Joanna Southcott claim to be the woman of the apocalypse whom the Bible's book of revelation spoke about. Um, I don't know much about that, but yeah, so she's apparently the woman of the apocalypse, which is a pretty cool name.
2: Yeah. I'd like to meet her.
0: <laughs> well, she's probably
2: dead. There's gotta be a reincarnation <laughs> somewhere, right?
0: Yeah, actually, you know what? That's probably, yeah, yeah. That's probably exactly what it is. So you're right. You could <laughs> meet her someday. <laughs> However, they were eventually banished from their hometown of fosteria, Ohio. Because you see, the Prunels wanted nothing to do with the dead. And I mean absolutely nothing. Uh, so much so that when their 17-year-old daughter died in a devastating accident involving firecrackers at a local factory, the two refused to attend her funeral. Residents Jesus. of Jesus. Foster- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> um, residents of the fosteria community were furious with the couple, and so they were forced to leave their hometown. I think a lot of the death stuff has to do with probably his youth, Right. Experienced death out young and then having it result in all these bad things that happened to him. I think that affected him yeah, later maybe, on.
2: Maybe like a bad juju thing and
0: just set him down the wrong path. Exactly. Some, something like that, anyway, I think. After being booted out of Ohio, the Prunells decided to relocate to the city of Benton Harbor, where they settled on some land located on the southeastern shore of Lake Michigan. There, in 1903, they founded a religious society called the Israelite House of David, which aimed to reunite the twelve tribes of Israel in hopes of preparing themselves to receive Jesus Christ upon His return to Earth in the New Millennium. That was a very long sentence. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so they they've created the cult. Roll show credits. That's what we do. Yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> we got, we said the name, it's like in a movie when they say the name of the movie, I'm like, when's the credits? Oh, eh. they said it. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot. This goal was in line with Benjamin Prunell's belief that he was the seventh and final messenger of God as prophesized by Joanna Southcott. So big Big shoes to fill. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. More specifically, he was convinced that he had been entrusted to carry out the mission outlined in the Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, which read, quote, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, end quote. So basically, he wants to be... uh, the messenger to, of to God, basically. <laughs> it's always
2: it's always funny to me that people that are super religious, especially when you're in the mindset of being a cult leader or a member of a cult or something of the sort, that you all of a sudden see yourself as this grand prophet or character or a figurehead. <laughs> It's like, where was the, where's the bridge that gaps from like normal minister who goes out and tells people about God to God chose me and I am in this <laughs> to bring the apocalypse and bring Jesus back. And it I, it's just always a funny jump yeah. to me.
3: To me, that's like borderline, almost mental illness uh, if not mental illness as a whole, like when, when you're taking a verse out of the Bible so literally and <laughs> taking it as a direct message to you and you only, uh, that's kind of deranged. <laughs> yeah,
0: it, it's definitely getting to that point. I mean, there are there are many, like, it's like, where do you get your confidence from? You know, I need yeah, a little yeah. bit of that. <laughs> Should have been a motivational speaker. Exactly. And I, fe- I feel a lot of them would be really good at it. They could be yeah, YouTube, YouTube motivational speakers. Definitely. Yeah, it's. I think it's a combination of a few things, and I think with Ben, it's definitely the support of his wife Mary, who I, I feel definitely helps convince him of this. She she is definitely that kind of person where she supports him one hundred percent and like just push him towards whatever he's believing in. That was in a lot of the research I was reading, so I think a lot of that's where his his confidence comes from. Um, a very
3: supportive wife. Two support. Yeah, it's a great attribute, and like a, <laughs> crappy scenario
0: yes yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's like you need your wife to be 95 percent supportive you know yeah Yeah. there's got to be voice
3: of reason (laughs) yeah that
0: five percent where they're just like you didn't fucking take out the trash last week (laughs) exactly yeah why did you start a cult (laughs) (laughs) now i have to get up early on sundays god damn it (laughs) yeah so i think that's definitely what fed into his specific, what would you call it, narcissism. <laughs> but I believe every, every cult leader is slightly different in where they get their confidence. <laughs> to fulfill his duty as the seventh angel of God, Benjamin, accompanied by his wife, began visiting nearby towns and preaching to residents. With his beguiling message and charismatic personality, it didn't take long before he amassed several hundred members, which spurred him to buy more land until the communion was sitting on a plot that exceeded 1,000 acres. It's huge. Wow. Yeah, it's basically it turns into a small town here shortly. (laughs) New devotees of the House of David were quick to adhere to the couple's strict rules, no matter how strange they seemed. For instance, meat, shaving, sex, tobacco, personal property, and alcohol were all forbidden. They were also required to hand over their money to the Prunels to help fund their preaching and outreach work. Now, that is standard religious stuff. However, even sex between married couples was forbidden. Ra- oh boy. and wait wait a second rather husbands and wives had to regard each other as brother and sisters oh. so, since oh. the Prunels taught their devotees that all kinds of intercourse whether it be for procreation or simply for pleasure was forbidden by God so what? yeah we bring it back to the incest thing.
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> it all comes full circle yeah literally (laughs) (laughs) if you
2: can't marry your sister just pretend pretend
0: your wife is your sister (laughs) that's
2: fucking weird
3: weird. yeah
0: i mean i've heard of worse cults so far it's weird but it's definitely not terrible yet
2: the sex for pleasure thing i mean okay i could get that if you're if you're a very religious cult but the no sex for procreation is kind of That's puzzling to me. Weird.
3: Yeah, it's weird. And there's that whole complexion to having a child where it's like, oh, this is such a blessing. Like to some regards, there's like, especially if you're a religious person, there's a religious aspect to having a child. So it's like, I feel like that should have scratched more heads, that whole (laughs) portion of it. Just uh, a few more questions raised, you'd think.
0: Yeah. I don't know if they were just hoping everyone would be, you know, mother marrying it, just babies popping out <laughs> left and right from god but definitely w- w- um, weird but do you guys know who would never prevent you from having sex or eating meat or anything else god. i said above did you say god <laughs> god <laughs> close the products and services that support this show um, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's a beyond meat burger or something then in which case don't eat meat eat the beyond meat burger anyway <laughs> en- enjoy some ads <laughs> good segue this podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link audibletrial.com/cultivate. That's C U L T I V the number 8 to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you Audible for supporting the show. Bye. In return for giving up everything they had, members were promised that the city of Benton Harbour had been specifically chosen by God to be the place where the Garden of Eden would be restored. Thus, joining the House of David would guarantee them eternal life. According to the judge who spoke about the group in 1927, In the minds of his people, Benjamin had established a kingdom separated from the world, in which he had held temporal and spiritual dominance ordering the physical lives of their members and directing the aspirations of their souls and the operation of their mind, end quote. Kind of dark. It, I just
2: like how he, with a straight face, stood in front of hundreds of people and he said,
0: Benton Harbor is the place. <laughs> not not all these other amazing places. Benton Harbor. Yeah. This not- is it. <laughs> Not shitting on Benton Harbor. I've never been there, but uh, I've also never heard of it before this. So that's uh, telling, if anything. (laughs) The organization strived to be as self-sufficient as possible. Members were not only required to harvest fruit and cultivate grain, but those who had learned important trades in the outside world were made to offer their expertise. For instance, there were facilities in the commune that provided tailoring, carpentry, and even laundering services. An electrical plant was also established, which provided power to the thousands of people living on the land. So as I said, like it's turning into its own town (laughs) within Benton Harbor. Kind of crazy. It's definitely one of the biggest cults I've ever covered.
3: Maybe he was right about Benton Harbor. (laughs) (laughs) Were these people like provided food and whatnot for like? their services and stuff.
0: Yeah, so it it worked as like a like uh, as I said like a commune. So they would they didn't get paid money necessarily, but they got they got to live there, got to eat food, and got provided all these services, I believe, for free. So okay. it, it was like everyone was just kind of living there without money, which yeah. kind of nice to think about. Like I I don't know, wouldn't mind a world yeah, with no money. Yeah,
3: without yeah. all the cult rules seems cool. Yeah. <laughs> the no sex is weird,
0: but uh, yeah, I could, I could maybe handle all the rest of the stuff. <laughs> you didn't say no drugs, so that's okay. Oh, see, there you go, yeah. silver lining. I know I didn't specifically say no drugs, but please stop injecting yourself with heroin. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I can. I get know he us. set up a heroin factory over on Main Street, <laughs> but that's to sell to the outside people. <laughs> <laughs> However, Benjamin knew that creating income streams was key to sustaining the House of David. And so it didn't take long before the communion was also playing host to a public zoo, a garden, a restaurant, an arcade, a movie theater, a bowling alley, and an amphitheater. <laughs> the uh, group also invested in a miniature locomotive, which at the time held distinction of being the world's largest. Um, I,
2: I take everything I said about Benton Harbor back.
0: Yeah, we're becoming Disneyland now, <laughs> before, before <laughs> Disneyland. It, it was the first. This amusement park was christened, Eden Springs <laughs> to oh, commemorate the, its future fate. As Benjamin <laughs> Hope, it attracted tons of people, and by the mid-20th century, it had become the Midwest's top tourist attraction. Son of a bitch did it. He did it. He, he accomplishes <laughs> most of his dreams here. <laughs> if, if only he wasn't a terrible person. He could enjoy it. Oh. We'd be talking nice things about him. For outsiders, the group's members may have looked strange with their long hair and full beards. However, they seemed like a joyful and fun-loving community, content with running their communion and Eden Springs. In fact, according to Chris Siriano, the current owner of the House of David Museum in St. Joseph, Michigan, quote, It was amazing, the amount of entertainment and excitement there. They wanted to have fun. They wanted to invite America into their lives. They loved to entertain and to laugh and to have a blast. They always told me it was a means to an end to get them to tomorrow. Because tomorrow was when paradise was coming, end quote. So, again, there's that apocalyptic line just shoved yeah. in at the end. But then again,
2: you know, that that's like, you know, going back to the QAnon thing, you know, everything's always going to happen tomorrow. Wait, wait till tomorrow. And then tomorrow <laughs> comes and it's like, well, we meant the next day.
0: Yeah. We're just going to mm. keep adjusting until it happens and, or until mm-hmm. something happens. And then we'll be <laughs> like, see, told you. Um, We missed the deadline. (laughs) I can buy a lottery ticket a million times, and if I win once, (laughs) that's all that matters. (laughs) Then I was right. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Locals loved the House of David, not just for the amusement park that they had built, but also because of the vibrant atmosphere that they brought to the city. Bob Myers, the current curator of the Byrne County Historical Association Museum, explained that, quote, They had a profound impact on Benton Harbor. Anybody that grew up here back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and early 70s, you hear that all the time. Everybody remembers the House of David, end quote. Pop in place. It was yeah. the, the place of the time. Like I said, it, it is like pretty equivalent to the Disneyland of our time. You know what I mean? Like We should, it, we should it, bring it back.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Bring it back to its former glory. This dude could have been the Walt Disney. He could have like made the characters that influenced people for generations literally. But no, he had to he had to have a cult.
0: That scares me <laughs> to think about. It's it. kind of, of terrifying,
3: but I mean, mm. yeah.
0: <laughs> do we think Walt Disney had a secret cult? Cuz I almost uh, 100% um, think he did. <laughs> I, I think he still has a cult. Isn't there that secret club at Walt at Disneyland? You guys should do a Episode on that, I think. <laughs> uh, wait, we'll dive into Disneyland a little all bit. All right. All right. Yeah. Just uh, if you ever need me on that episode, I'll come on. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I'll just trash talk Disney, uh, Walt Disney, <laughs> <laughs> his um, frozen head in a vault somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Just flipping me off with his <laughs> robotic fingers.
1: <laughs>
0: um, However, it soon became clear that despite their long working hours, many members were still suffering from an excess of energy due to the no sex rule that the Purnells enforced. (laughs) To address this, Benjamin encouraged his devotees to dedicate themselves to sports, which he believed taught discipline (laughs) of the mind, body, and soul. (laughs) He was like, you can't have sex, but I got the next best thing for you. (laughs)
3: Baseball. (laughs) Baseball. In
0: 1910, a baseball field was built on the commune's property, and it didn't take long before large crowds were gathering to watch pickup games played between members of the House of David and local semi-professional teams. Four years later, in 1914, the group launched a formal baseball team that was managed by a man named Francis Thorpe and featured House of David member Doc Talley as its lead star. The House of David baseball team began playing against amateur and semi-professional leagues all across Michigan, as well as from neighboring Illinois and Indiana. In 1915, they entered a league for the first time and won the Barron County Championship the following year. This victory earned them mention in local newspapers, with New York Times even publishing a short feature that shone a spotlight on the strange-looking yet excellent players. Because you got a picture. They have, like, they can't (laughs) cut their hair, right? Or shave. So they just have these <laughs> huge beards just and burly just men, long hair. They're not even burly. They're just, they're like thin, thin guys with just huge beards. They're kind of creepy looking <laughs>
3: actually. Um, so do these sports were, were they meant as a fulfillment for their sexual depra- deprivation? I think it started as that. And
0: then once they realized how good they got, cause I mean, obviously they're not focusing on anything else because, <laughs> Can't do anything else. So they just got really fucking good at sport, uh, at baseball, and I think they eventually saw it as a way to make more money. So they just wow. went all in on it. <laughs> um, given the sensational reporting at the time, contemporary historians have found it difficult to assert the role that House David played in the American baseball history. However, they do know that the team played against several of the best squads from the and don't. Uh, don't yell at me. This is what it was called. It was called the Negro Leagues, whose existence was required by 20th century segregation laws. So obviously all black leagues that weren't allowed to play in white leagues. So, mm. Terrible, yep. but uh, these were the first uh, white players to play against, or not first, but they, were, they played like pretty consistently against people from these leagues, which was kind of, what would you call it? Forthright? Forthcoming? I don't know what, <laughs> what the right word is. I'm blanking. <laughs> it was ahead of its time. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Visionaries. Um, they were visionaries. Absolutely. They were definitely visionaries. <laughs> According to Jacob Pomerink, the director of editorial content at the society for American baseball research. That is a mouthful. Uh, he says, quote, <laughs> while the house of David was not the first white team to play against all black teams in many cases, their games against say the Kansas city monarchs would have been the first time many fans in America had ever seen white and black faces on the same field. That was important in helping pave the way for integration in professional baseball with Jackie Robinson later. End quote. Wow. So it, huh. yeah, they had a pretty good impact on the game of baseball. Like they, they helped it progress faster than most other sports. That's for sure.
2: Wow. Um. So yeah. so far, this is this is the American dream here.
0: <laughs> it's literally besides, yeah.
2: <laughs> besides not having sex with your your wife sister. Uh your wife's sister. Your wife's sister, yeah.
0: Wife, I mean, it's a good way now that, now you say it like that, it's a good way to prevent people from having sex. Be like, that's your sister. Like, All right, well I'm not gonna <laughs> have sex
3: with her. That's <laughs> a solid point. But yeah. that guy's sister, I would <laughs>
0: <laughs> They don't they don't sleep with their own wives, they sleep with their buddies' wives. So there it's you like go. Loopholes, you know. Um, just over the pants stuff. That's all it was. (laughs) 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 Only (laughs) over (laughs) the (laughs) pants. Besides their skirmishes against all black teams, the House of David also became known for their unique playing style. In a feature piece published in the Guardian, journalist Ryan Ferguson wrote that, quote, with aggressive base running, skillful fielding, and incredible dexterity at bat, the House of David became baseball's answer to the Harlem Globetrotters. In small towns across America, people flocked to witness their, their lavish show typically replete with stunts and gimmicks. The House of David became known for mastering the game of pepper, where players threw and bunted balls back and forth with great imagination. Crowds were dazzled as the touring players hid balls in their beard, performed tricks aplenty. One obscure scheme saw the House of David play an inning or two with fielders riding donkeys. No <laughs> ploy was too bizarre, end quote. And it is kind of cool. Like there are like, it's terrible footage, but it's like old footage of... Of them doing like these weird like throw it, make it look like they're going to throw it and then it's behind their back or it's in the other guy's oh. glove. It's it's kind of like a cool trick thing like you'd see at a Harlem Globetrotters event or something like that. So it's very interesting. They made a um, show of
2: it. They were having fun. There's no doubt about that. I'm waiting for the downside here other than this uh, other than this sex thing. Uh,
3: it's well, coming. there was also it's the coming. meat and the <laughs> cigarettes and the, the, the shaving. Yeah. <laughs> There was Which other I, stuff. Is, is that the order for you? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, <laughs> eh, sex, meat, cigarettes, shaving. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's fair. Well, that's, I mean, that's a good order. That was basically my uh, quarantine anyways. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> was all 2020 for me, <laughs> their prowess on the field became so legendary that at one point the house of David had three different teams participating in baseball games across the United States. Naturally, this generated a ton of revenue, which went back to the communion in Benton Harbor, where it was used to print pamphlets and all sorts of religious literature. Non-athlete members watching from the PAX grandstands distributed these pamphlets. So they're, they're like, oh, we get the money, we put it back in the business kind of thing. Like,
2: hmm. I wonder if they were recu- recruiting at these games.
0: Oh yeah, they, that's uh, yeah. Just at the end there, that like they would so like a, a lot of non-athlete members would go to the games and then like hand out pamphlets uh, in the stands. Oh pamphlets!
2: There. Oh pamphlets for the the, the commune. Yeah,
0: oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, well, just for anyone watching, yeah, they just like hand them out and and they would get a lot of people come in from those events, which is a smart. Well, you can't business make move. kids, so you gotta. <laughs> Do you like fun? Do you hate capitalism? <laughs> <laughs> come on down to the. Uh, <laughs> the non-sister sex communion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This led to baseball becoming a critical tool that House of David not only used to raise awareness about their commune, but also to recruit members. The group intensified these efforts by introducing unique innovation to the game. For instance, they were reportedly among the first ones to use portable lights on the field, allowing their team to play well into the night. Jacob Pomerank further explained that quote, the team always claimed that Its game on April 17, 1930, in Independence, Kansas, was the first night game ever played. The House of David did a lot to popularize the concept of night baseball, and their game in Kansas did take place five years before the first Major League night game, but they were definitely not the first team to play baseball under electric lights. End quote. So they're pushing, like, these new innovations that even the major leagues were, were not doing at the time. Unfortunately for them, though, this would all be stru- uh, swept under the rug after shocking revelations about their leader made headlines across the country. So here we go. Here we
3: Here's go. the bad
0: stuff. By the 1920s, rumors were spreading that Benjamin Prunell was regularly engaging in sexual activity with female members of the commune. Uh, which, of that's a no-no, you know? Mandatory yeah. celibacy. <laughs> However, that's not only that's not the the terrible part. Uh, there were whispers that most, if not all, of his partners had been underage. So he was ordering cheese pizzas when he definitely should not
3: have. S M H, bro. Yeah, that's <laughs> not cool. Uh,
0: not cool. He let the money and power get to his head when yeah. he was supposed to be talking to Jesus or whatever he was supposed to do. I don't. I'm not sure exactly. You <laughs> but the world in the palm of your hands, man. Yeah. Benton Harbor could be uh, (laughs) Eden right now if it wasn't for this blasphemy, you know? At first, these rumors were believed to be nothing more than false stories spread by bored locals who were jealous of Benjamin's success. However, public opinion turned against him after more than a dozen women came forward and began claiming that they had, in fact, been forced to have sex with the self-proclaimed seventh messenger of God. Local authorities did their best to get to the bottom of the allegations, but Benjamin would reportedly disappear whenever they sent word that they wanted to talk to him. In 1914, the Chicago Tribune even ran a story on how he had locked himself in a vault located behind a den of bears in the commune zoo in a bid to escape from law enforcement.
3: <laughs> what? <laughs> <It> was <just laughs> he was ready. He was yeah, ready for it. He had
0: contingency plans. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, check the monkey, uh, the oh, monkey in gorilla man. cages. There was definitely vaults all over that place.
2: Let me get oh. in the vault, then release the bears.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and don't talk to me until they're gone. <laughs> He's fucking nuts. <laughs> yeah. But it worked for a while. Benjamin's efforts may have bought him some time, but in 1923, the allegations had become too many, too loud, and too egregious to ignore. A few years later, in 1927, another trial was held. Although, once again, Benjamin Prunell refused to show up. <laughs> Which is wild that that just works, like, back then. Yeah, it's He didn't show up, so I guess we can't do the trial anymore.
2: <laughs> I won't be
0: there. Yes. <laughs> During the proceedings, testimony was heard that several young women had been forced into arranged marriages in order to protect the House of David from being questioned by their state investigators. Mm. A witness further claimed that the leader of the commune had engaged in a sexual activity with teenage female members— Who had been made to believe that they were participating in a purification rite. Very manipulative. And I mean, like, if you're living in this commune and everyone's praising this dude and he comes up to you and he's like, have sex with me or you'll die. Like, that's pretty fucked up because you're just a kid. And who are you going to tell? Because everyone else is believing him, right?
2: Now, from from what I have heard, and you would obviously be the one to know, isn't it a kind of a common thread among cult leaders to take advantage of underage girls? Maybe it's like a a psychological power trip and just continuing that whole, you know, having that power over a younger person or a smaller person or whatever.
0: There is a lot of I wouldn't say all are underage necessarily, but definitely younger. A lot of cult leaders definitely recruit younger, like us- usually, I want to say the usually above mm. 18 and, uh, and then they corrupt them and basically have sex slaves for their, their cult life. Right. So not as fucked up, but pretty fucked up. And there are a lot of weird sex things that cult leaders have probably mostly from yeah, the like a weird power struggle. I'm not sure. I've never been in power of anything, so I don't know what the <laughs> feeling is like. But clearly it goes to their heads, and these are not stable people by any means. So, yeah, it, it, I wouldn't say underage necessarily for all the cults, but definitely some of them. And it, it is mm. definitely a power thing, I believe. So, yep. Yeah, not great. As the proceedings came to an end, Benjamin showed up to the court on a stretcher reportedly looking emaciated and weak. It turns out he'd been suffering from tuberculosis and diabetes, which his supporters claimed were the reasons why he had hidden himself away from authorities. (laughs) Not a good reason, (laughs) but... (laughs) During his time in court, Benjamin denied all the accusations that had been leveled against him. However, it was too late. In November 1927, the local judge ordered him to leave the House of David, and a few weeks later, on December 16th, he died from his various illnesses. So to note this here, he was never actually charged of anything. He was just told to leave, which is kind of just as Mm -hmm. fucked up. Definitely a stain on the American uh, judicial system. That's kind of baffling.
2: The judge told him to leave his own cult.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. While his judge has a six foot long beard. <laughs> yeah. He's and, part of it. He's in on it
0: and can crank home runs <laughs> like no one's business. <laughs> um, yeah, so all, all his punishment was he was ordered to leave and then he died. So it was like he didn't really suffer any consequences, mm, um, yep. which is unfortunate for his alleged victims. Still, the judge reportedly exonerated him for his quote betrayal of the spiritual faith of his victims and use of the sacred aspiration of religion to gratify his lust, end quote. With this ruling, the state of Michigan nearly succeeded in its attempt to dissolve the House of David. Shortly afterward, newspapers carried it headlines about how King Ben, which Benjamin had taken to calling himself, had been exiled from the community that he had himself built from the ground up. However, the House of David had become too big to simply eradicate by their leader's death. Benjamin's wife, Mary, assumed the role of the commune's leader, but after being challenged by its more aggressive members, she called all her supporters and formed a rival group named Mary's City of David, which is a pretty pretty cool name. I don't know how like I don't know how much she knew about all that stuff, so I don't want to call her a <laughs> a feminist icon, but uh, it was kind of cool that she just led her own communion after this, like: she That's took charge. Pretty rare, yeah. pretty rare back in the day, for sure. Again, I don't know what she knew. So don't, if she was a bad person, do not uh, attack me on that. (laughs) This schism was a huge blow to the once thriving commune. Even their famous baseball team was split with Mary's being the more successful one due to her followers, including ex-major leaguers like Grover, Cleveland, and Alexander. The tourist attraction that she had been given proved to be more popular as well, especially with the Chicago's Jewish community who were ostracized by other theme parks and resorts. They were also drawn to the food that Mary and her followers served since it contained no meat at all and was thus considered kosher. It's uh I think it's well documented that Walt Disney was definitely not a fan of Jewish people, so this, this falls in line yeah. yep. with
3: that. Yes.
0: <laughs> um so you, you know it pays to be open-minded and accept everyone. That's the lesson here.
2: <laughs> That's the message of the day.
0: Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, to her new audience, Mary Prunell ordered to have a synagogue built on the City of David's plot so that their Jewish guests could come and worship after enjoying their day of fun and entertainment. Both the House of David and the City of David continued their activities throughout the 1940s, but their ranks began to dwindle after World War II. Mary Prunell passed away in 1953, and this further decreased the membership in both communes. They still exist today, though, with Ron Taylor, one of the last of Mary's followers, continuing to claim that the current realities of the communes were perfectly in line with the couple's prophecy. The House of David may be a shadow of its former self, but remnants of its glory days remain in Benton Harbor. In fact, Eden Springs is now maintained by a group of volunteers who hope that it will one day draw half a million tourists just like it did at its peak. I don't think it will, but (laughs) maybe after this episode. Everyone go to Benton Harbor. We'll all meet there for a nice day trip, you know? Most of the park's current visitors are those with fond memories of it who want to take a trip down memory lane. For instance, notes left on the guest books read, quote, over 50 years ago, my father would take me to the baseball game, end quote, and, quote, first date for Grandma and Grandpa Fowler 64 years ago, end quote. So, like, this... (laughs) Like a lot of people were affected by this in the, in the area. Yeah, seems like a big deal.
3: Yeah. It's kind of wholesome.
0: Yeah. It's kind of nice. There are nice parts of the story. There are not nice parts of the story, but <laughs> these are the, these are the nice parts. We're going to end on the nice parts. From these alone, it's clear that the house of David, despite its scandals and u- unusual beliefs is widely g- regarded by many as neither a cult nor religious order, but rather as a welcoming community filled with like-minded people. The public may have initially only seen their strange flowing hair and beards, but they remember them for the huge impact they had on Benton Harbor and even on American baseball. Ryan Ferguson of The Guardian put it best when he wrote that, quote, There are often stigmas attached to the religious societies, perhaps justly. In some instances, but the House of David and the baseball team it spawned should never be forgotten. They blaze a trail in many different areas of life. Especially sports, and that contribution provides a legacy to admire end quote and that is the house of David, pretty wild, pretty wild story, definitely yeah. a weird cult.
2: Benjamin was like a like a young Walt Disney just creating a beautiful amusement park out there, and then didn't follow his own rules and hold yep. himself up because he had he had high blood sugar.
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he died of diabetes because he was eating too much sugar or just not enough because that's possible too.
2: Yeah, Um, yeah, true. Everything Uh, went downhill when he opened the funnel cake stand.
0: (laughs) 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 And the tuberculosis was just punishment for being a shitty person. (laughs) Yeah, uh, exactly. It is too bad that he passed away because he should have definitely served some time for his crimes, you know, like those... Mm -hmm poor women just i mean they were probably happy to see him die fair but uh, they probably wanted to see him suffer a little bit before he did understandable uh, yeah
2: kind of that's kind of the legal system though you know you you very rarely ever see uh, you know the people that deserve to get their up and comings actually get it <laughs> You know, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Go watch your episode.
0: There's a plug. (laughs) Hey, there you go. (laughs) No, it's true. And I mean, he was a rich person at the time, rich white person. So yeah, probably took a a part in, in the judicial system. Before we end off our show, it's time for Cult Critique, which is the part of the show where my guests and I take a look at the cult we just discussed and give it a rating out of five stars as if we were rating it off of Yelp. Um, <laughs> we then give comments on why we gave them this rating. So are you guys ready to rate the house of David with me?
3: <laughs> Definitely. Totally. Awesome.
0: Mike, what is your, uh, what is your rating on the house
2: of David? Four stars would come back to Benton Harbor, uh, <laughs> to hang out. Funnel cake was great. <laughs> Sexual assault.
0: Not so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair That is a good Good rating That's a fair rating
3: Uh, What about yourself, Frank? I'd also have to give this A solid four star It's only not a five Because I found a long Very, very long Beard hair In my funnel cake Cotton candy made of beard hair (laughs) Very entertaining Would not The synagogue was perfect Very clean the baseball game was nice.
0: The team I bet on won. It was good. There were so many bears, <laughs> so many vaults within the bear, bear bear cage. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you guys. I think I think four four and a half stars. You know, I think for the most part, it was just kind of a kind of a nice communion, a nice place to hang out. Still to this day, and if it wasn't for uh, you know a corrupt leader, I think. I think this could have been a very nice story and it's sad, it's sad it had to be tainted with the terrible things that he did, but I think, I think that's a fair, fair rating. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone to, for listening. Uh, Mystery Mike and Slick Frank Sanders. If you don't mind telling my listeners where they can find your podcasts and any other plugs you want to throw in.
2: Sure. Uh, you can find the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search for Hush Hush Society. We are the only ones. Um, <laughs> we're, we're kind of like a cult in ourselves. We Ooh. initiate new members every week into the secrets of... Of the conspiratorial world and you will die with those secrets. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Every Monday we release episodes and you can go to hushhushsociety.com for more information. Thank you so much, Josh.
0: Definitely, definitely recommend you guys go check it out. They're funny, entertaining, and very informative. So if you love my show, you'll is a step up so so definitely go check it out I feel most of my podcasts I'm just steering my listeners away to better podcasts <laughs> no
2: <laughs> no it's it's funny because we've we've steered listeners to yours so
0: oh well <laughs> they're just going back and forth very confused they're like yeah, yeah. I, they're like I can only subscribe to one podcast so yeah I um, only have time for one <laughs> my commute isn't long enough damn it um, <laughs> I need a new job <laughs> Gotta start taking the back roads. Yeah, I'm taking a trip to uh, Benton Harbor now. <laughs> Just end nice. all of our episodes. Um, Hell yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining me. Thank you, Fred, for listening. And we will see you guys next time.
3: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, And best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com slash cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show.